Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. To convince a child to keep walking, try switching roles with them. Let the child play the role of the parent. They'll immediately do what you want them to do. You are raising in your home people that the Bible is very clear about their status. They need to be converted. Not just a conformity of their behavior. They need a transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate priority. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Living in a negative cut flower civilization. This is Wretched Radio. Dr. Oz Guinness, he's a very goodly thinker, describing our current cultural context as a cut flower civilization, meaning what used to cause a flower to bloom has been disconnected. The bloom has been cut off of the rose, meaning the good of Christianity has been separated from Christianity. We are living in a world that still feels the positive impact of being guided in large part by Christian values and ideas. If you recall, the Proverbs inform us that a society and an individual overall can do well if they follow the precepts of God, even if they don't believe in them, which as a total aside is why Mormons were attracted to Bill Gothard. (laughs) because it was mere moralisms, and they glommed onto that because Mormonism is about moralism. Our society still is heavily influenced by Christianity, but it's increasingly separated from Christianity, which is why Dr. Oz Guinness said we're living in a cut flower civilization. His primary concern is that when you are in a culture that no longer is connected to the source of its growth, obviously it's going to shrivel and wither. My concern is that we try to somehow continue to produce the bloom without it being connected to the vine. And that is precisely what I see so many people attempting to do. We've got to get this country back. We've got to get these people behaving morally. We've got to get these people following Christian principles. Hold the phone. Like a movie, I'm so sorry for quoting a movie, Time Changers. Do you remember this movie? Maybe 20 years old now. It was a professor from the late 19th century who had created a time machine. Just work with it. It's a movie. And the captain of the love boat, a.k.a. Meryl Steubing, He was also a professor, and the fellow who had created the time machine had written a book about moralisms and the importance of teaching Christian values to culture, even when they don't believe in Christ. And Captain Steubing said, you got yourself a problem here, because once you disconnect the bloom from the stem, you're not going to have either. And as he traveled in time, about 100 years ahead, that's exactly what he discovered. Hey, kid. Be nice to your mother and father. Shut up. Why should I be? Well, um, because the Bible says so. See, you can't have genuine morality. Now, you can impose some laws and restrictions on people, which you increasingly need to do in a society that doesn't police itself. You need more police. You need more laws. But if we want people to change and if we want to produce the blooms that this culture has indeed produced. How are we going to do it? 
How are we going to make that happen? Everybody's okay. I think it's safe to say most of us have been talking about this. Yikes! The foundations are crumbling. What do we do? We live in a cut flower civilization, and we would do well to recognize there will be no further blooms until people are connected to the vine Jesus Christ. You say, Friel, why do you share that? Well, I've been reading a number of articles. This one will suffice. Very smart from the American reformer. It's titled The Christian Imperative of Political Decentralization. So he's asking the question that Aaron Wren pondered in 2022. Now that we live in a negative society, you recall we used to live in a positive Christian society that people felt fondly toward Christians. Thumbs up. We affirm we're going to give tax credits to, or better yet, we will not impose taxes on you. We will make you exempt from taxes because the good that you do contributes so much to our society. Well, then we moved into neutral. Up until about 2014, so give or take 1990 to 2014, kind of neutral, okay, but we're getting a little leery of you folks, 2014. It appears the calendar has switched, and we now live in a negative society. And so this article, I don't know what the fellow, real smart guy, I, I don't know what his religion is, but he's offering the solution. If we want to see the bloom put back on the rose, we need political decentralization. And he, of course, describes the individualism that is so prevalent in our society, expressing itself quite forcefully in the LGBTQ movement. By the way, did you see any of the pride parades that took place? Aren't they amazing? You say, Friel. No, they were disgusting. Well, see, this is where you're confused. What we used to consider really wildly inappropriate, especially when children are present, is now hailed as being so just, so liberating. Did you see the fellow? I don't even like to describe it. Let's just say there were a lot of naked men parading around in front of children. Congratulations. Isn't that wonderful? If you don't express it like that, then you're terrible because what is up is down. What is down is up. But this particular fellow goes on to describe another problem, and that is the church is no longer the leading institution in our society. We used to be the people who had schools. We taught people how to write. Hospitals, science, we were leading the way, and now we're not. And so he's offering a solution to that problem and basically saying the way to get the church on people's minds and see the church as a place to whom they can go or must rely on for safety, for good health, for spiritual nourishment, for whatever programs that people look to the church for, then we'll be living safely and soundly in the United States of America. To achieve that goal, we must seek political decentralization. In other words, federal government should restrict, state rights should contract. I think I did that right. Science and me ain't so good together. We need a smaller federal government and we need a larger state government. Here's what he wrote. Any healthy strategy for Christian political engagement must take into account these realities, the aforementioned, and develop prudent tactics for shoring up the church's diminished influence society while creating the conditions conducive to renewed efforts to redeem the culture. And so he offers 
doesn't really give the specifics, but hey, work toward, if you're going to put flex your political muscle, shrink the federal government, and then society will be redeemed or have a better shot at redemption, and society will have a better view of the church. I don't think that's the way it works when you're in a cut flower civilization. You can't super glue the bloom back onto the stem. You've got to start planting more seeds to create a healthy plant so that the vast majority of people are thinking Christianly and they have an inner desire to not be breaking laws, thus a lack of need for as much police enforcement, still need it, but not to the degree when you have a society that doesn't have an internal compass aimed north. Is this the solution? My thesis, writes the author, is that in the 21st century context, such a strategy has the greatest potential for success in an environment of political decentralization and that Christians should thus work to devolve political authority from the federal government to states and localities where possible. Now, we do need to ask a question. Do we see that commandment affirmed in the Bible? Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that doing something politically can't contribute to human flourishing. But is this the strategy of the church? Is this even the goal of the church to create more, shall I say, shiny, happy people? Isn't Netflix caught that? If you haven't seen the Duggar documentary yet, the, the Netflix got it. They were shiny, happy people. Everybody in the Gothard system faked it because legalism doesn't bring joy. Legalism can only really produce two emotions. First, depression and sorrow because ah, I'm not keeping the laws or pride when you think that you are. That's all. That's all legalism can do for you. And that is exactly what Bill Gothard was all about. And Netflix identified the fruit of that corrupt root. It creates pretend people. Is that what Christianity is about? Making people smile? Say the right things? Not shop on Sunday? Controlling what they think about God? Is that the role? Are we really supposed to be about a political means to accomplish a spiritual end? I think we need to follow the lead of our Savior, the lead of the early church, who sought to be obedient to Jesus' great commission. Go and make disciples. And when you do, you will have a healthy root that produces a correct fruit that doesn't need to have an authoritarian gardener. This is Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture. And all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you 
like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines, they typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are so grateful for your ongoing support, which you know allows us to reach millions of people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that standing firm with us in this effort is no small thing, and we want to express our appreciation to you. So thank you, Gospel Partners, for your continued support. As you know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and all financial gifts are tax-deductible. We're responsible for programs like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, and Transformed, with the mission being reaching millions of lost souls through culturally compelling, biblically sound, and gospel-centered productions. So again, Gospel Partners, please continue standing firm with us in this effort. And if you're not already a Gospel Partner, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? You can get all the information you would ever need about becoming a Gospel Partner by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at pre-born centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Clement of Alexandria was an apologist in the late 2nd century. He ran a school in Alexandria, Egypt, where he instructed new converts and trained Christian apologists. He taught that only Christianity, with its revelation from God in the Bible, has the answers regarding creation, good and evil, and salvation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Not to go all horticultural on ya. Because I can't. This is Wretched Radio. Let's hope Mrs. Friel doesn't hear this diatribe because no doubt the gardener of the family will correct my analogy. Just the same, we know that if a fruit or if a bloom is going to be healthy and beautiful and not sour and unedible, I know I'm mixing fruits and blooms, but just work with me on the illustration. We know that it needs to be healthy underground. We know that it needs to be connected to a source. Dr. Oz Guinness is correct. You really can't live in a cut flower civilization. You can't have flowers, the bloom of Christian influence, removed from Christianity and still expect it to stay healthy. 
or vibrant. It just, it won't, it can't. So the question that confronts us as we now live in a negative cut flower civilization, how do we respond to this? The good news is, I don't think that we need to get all complicated. Let me just state so that nobody gets the heebie-jeebies that I'm suggesting that Christians become pacifists. Um, I'm, what I'm saying is that Christians can and should be involved in politics as they see fit, but politics is not the means to produce good fruit or a healthy blossom. It requires a Christian root, and without that... We shouldn't anticipate this society to continue benefiting from the influence of Christianity. And we're seeing it, aren't we? I mean, besides the, the gay parades, and can I just say, there were a number of parades that took place over the weekend. I, I would like more of the one parade than the other. There was a parade that, 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 was, that made the news. I'm so sorry for this. This, this adult male literally in his underpants twerking before children. Then there was the parade. I don't know where it was. A bunch of naked men on bicycles riding in the pride parade. And then there was New York, where the chant was, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming after your children. Well then, thanks for letting us know. I, I Those... What parent takes their kid to a parade like that? Come, kids, we're going to go experience something that you need to flourish as a human being. Eight-year-old, you need to see a bunch of naked men parading around on bicycles. This is what's good for you. And in their mind, it actually is. You see, they need to be liberated from these colonializing concepts of white men that suppress people's inner desire to express their true self. What sort of parents? Parents detached from reality that actually think that is good. But did you hear about the fellow who turned 100? He was a doctor and he said, you know what I'd like for my birthday? I'd like to pet some dogs. And so the family posted on whatever you post on these days. And they thought maybe 20 dogs would show up. 200 dogs showed up and paraded in front of him and he got to pet each one. I want that kind of parade. In fact, I'd like more of those kinds of stories. What happened? Oh, there was another story. Let me see if I can find that. There was a story, and it genuinely was a headline. I think it was in Iowa where a cow somehow got loose, and, and, and the news was reporting on it because the cow actually approached the school and looked into the window. That, that was the story. Okay, give me that. I'd like to dwell on things that are pure, lovely, and worthy of praise, and not on all of the horribleness that is going on and the images that we see. We, we could use a little bit more mm, good news stories than all of the tragedies, but the question is, in light of all of the negative stories that we all have to digest, what are we going to do? How do we respond to this? I hear the cry, we've got to go back. Okay, but let's go back and consider what caused the fruit that we saw back in, let's just say the 50s. What, what caused it? Why did it seem more wholesome? And I think the answer was the church was more influential and people 
were in general more wholesome. Now, to be sure, oodles of false conflict. Converts, I get that. Also, to be sure, societal shame, it does curb behavior. I get that. Desiring to not be countercultural, if that's the tone of society, you're probably a little bit slow to want to be somebody who's outstanding in a controversial kind of way. I get that. But if you want moral behavior, we need what? Not moral people. We need regenerated people. We need people with a different heart. When you've got a sick and diseased heart, okay, Jimmy, I'm jumping from heart, from gardening to medical here. This should be a complete disaster. So when you bury your heart in the garden, I knew I would goof this up. So when your heart is diseased, does it push the blood through so that the rest of your body is nourished and healthy? No. We need different hearts. And so I will see people who try to, for instance, say, we, we need to go back to a time where, uh, for instance, for instance, kids prayed in school. Now, why did we used to do that? public. We did that. Well, because overall, the vast majority of people identified as being Christian. And so it wasn't wrong for the culture to say, hey, all of us Christians, we're getting together for education. We're going to pray. And for the few of the people inside of the classroom, well, they'll just tolerate it and understand. Now, how do we go back to that? You could say we're going to mandate prayer, but wait a second now. Now we're imposing prayer on children who don't believe in the object of the prayer. Do we want that? No, I get it. I really do. I'd like to see it too. The question is, how do we get there? And I think the biblical answer is quite simple. Go and make disciples. You get a classroom full of people who all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. That just kind of happens naturally as opposed to men. Dated Lee. You could also talk about realms of jurisdictional authority, but we'll leave that subject alone for the day. How's about Christian schools, specifically government funded Christian schools? Well, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because we like that idea. Hey, this way, a school, instead of the, the tax dollars going to a public institution, it goes to a private institution. Well, guess what's happening in Oklahoma where the school board said, yeah, there's going to be a Catholic school that will be funded with public tax dollars. Right now, even the Satanists are saying, give us money too. There are some people, maybe not as overtly, but the talk is starting to heat up. Revolution. This is an article from a, I'm going to leave it alone because I think I'm not going to mention the name of it because I believe my assessment is right. But if I'm wrong, I don't want to impugn a source that I actually enjoy reading quite often. But it was, it wasn't saying, hey, it's time to pick up arms and revolt. But it was saying that there are times when revolution is necessary and it's basically aimed at Christians that it could be okay and that we can follow in the footsteps of others who have decided this tyranny is too oppressive. We need to cast off the shackles of tyranny so that we can be a free people. They didn't say, let's do it now, 
but they're talking about it. I would encourage you and point you toward the video that we produced, I think a week ago, it was titled uh, something like, how does the church respond when Caesar tells it what to do or something like that? It's got the word church and Caesar in it. You might find it. Can the Christian revolt, rebel, even resist? And I think the answer to that question is no. We submit and we respectfully do what we're told. And when we find a command to be problematic because it is a sin issue or it is a jurisdictional issue that comes into conflict with either the family or the church realms, then we respectfully say, sorry, we love to be good citizens, but can't. Why? Every time that this is talked about, it's connected to the gospel because God uses his minister to even sometimes persecute the church so that we will respond in such a way that people ask about the hope that lies within us. It's unmistakable that persecution is evangelistic, which makes sense because that's what God is driving at, the redemption of souls, the regeneration of people, building his spiritual kingdom. That's what God is about. Why wouldn't a lousy government be about that too? We're living in a cut flower civilization. We long for a better day. Maybe the answer is not to look back and try to force it, whatever that looks like, but instead to simply look at the handbook that our God has given to us that tells us, go make disciples, go preach the gospel. Go let people know that they can have their sins forgiven. And when God gives them a heart transplant, then you will see a beautiful bloom. I mixed my analogies again. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Our top story today revolves around a brand that we all know so well these days. Budweiser. In a charming bid to camouflage their declining sales, Budweiser has announced that they're going to make their brand cool again. How so? Camo cans. Yep, thankfully the cans are set to launch in the next coming months and will solve all of their problems. Or just make them worse. Who knows? Well, in other news, we move on to Fairfax County, Virginia, where it appears the local police have taken up a new pastime. Beanbag toss. That's right. In an effort to reduce gun violence, the county has replaced police shotguns with beanbags. That should make for some interesting encounters. It's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Meanwhile, in California, a university which labels itself as a Christian university has canceled a Promise Keepers event because the group's biblical stance on Pride Month you know, the month formerly known as June, it appears that the pressure received by the university is, of course, political, and, of course, political correctness won out over staying true to the organization's roots. Some of the Christian communities see this as a concerning development, as they should. Across the border and around the continent, recent pride parades in the United States and Canada have come under fire for a lack of modesty in front of children. Yeah, it appears that some gentlemen feel quite comfortable in their birthday suits in front of kids, which has led to calls for more family-friendly events and less sexualization of the parades. I don't know that you can make a pride parade family-friendly, so how about we just don't allow kids to go to these events in the first place? 
In corporate news, more than 150 Starbucks across the U.S. have been hit by worker strikes. Apparently, some believe the rainbow decor doesn't quite cut it when it comes to inclusivity. The strikes are part of a larger worker-led movement calling for better wages, benefits, and working conditions. And in response, Starbucks has pledged to review its policies and practices. What does it all mean? Well, I don't know. Maybe Starbucks will add more colors to their rainbow. Who knows? But... We'll continue to watch and see what happens. Finally, we turn our hearts to a Christian family in India today who have been traumatized by ethnic violence. Their home was burned down and they were forced to flee. It underscore, and obviously this underscores what we tell you nearly daily here at Wretched, that our brothers and sisters all across the world are being persecuted and persecuted in ways that we cannot even imagine here in the U.S., Please continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Nehemiah is the continuing story of exiles returning from Babylonian captivity. In this book, the people rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and renew the covenant under the leadership of Nehemiah. Despite opposition, the wall is rebuilt in 52 days and is perceived as a work wrought by God. God will bless that work which brings Him honor. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Alabama, Iowa, they're close when you consider the width of the universe. This is Wretched Radio mentioned that a cow done got loose in Iowa, which actually probably did happen. It just wasn't reported like it was in Alabama. Cow interrupts Bible school at Alabama church. (laughs) Isn't that kind of refreshing that the police had to be called to deal with somebody's wandering milk cow because it approached the vacation Bible school that was taking place in a church in Montgomery. Raises a question, doesn't it? How much news are you and I supposed to consume? How much bad news can you and I handle as finite human beings? And the answer is to varying degrees, some of us more, some of us less. But I don't think any of us are built to be able to consume the constant barrage of wickedness that is just manifest everywhere these days and not be affected by it in a negative way. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of Christians are. All of the polls, all of the statistics, nobody's happy, everybody's grumpy, and everybody's feeling isolated. Well, how much of this has to do with the amount of negativity that we consume? Could be one of the reasons that we are all quite skeptical of one another, couldn't it? I mean, look at all these people doing all this stuff and they're out there and they go to my grocery store. Has it affected you perchance? I've, I've mused on this more than once. And it's something that I've actually observed in myself because of all of the recent challenges, starting with Albergafell, then you've got the COVID business, you've got the vaccine, the mass, the closing down of churches, and now you've got adult males naked in parades that children can attend in public. I thought we had laws about that. Well, the White House apparently remembered that a few days later. But the point is, it just, it can get you, not to mention this murder 
that stabbing, this rape, this abduction of a child. And I have to confess to you, I, I find myself less patient than I used to be. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand. I, I wasn't like, whoa, if you want to talk about a paragon of patience, point your finger to Friel. But I, I didn't like get annoyed as much as I actually do now. And I've got to ask myself the question, why? And there can be many reasons, by the way. you got to go ask yourself some, you've got to interrogate yourself on occasion. What is this? Why is it that when I walk into a restaurant and they say, sorry, we can't seat you, but there's like six open tables. I know, but we don't have the staff. Building back better. What, what, what is, where's that coming from? Part of it, I think, is the sheer amount of battery acid that gets poured down our throats every single day through news feeds. Yes, there are other reasons for it. It might be that I'm neglecting spiritual disciplines. It might be that I'm harboring an attitude. I've grown a root of bitterness. It could be sin in my life. All of those things need to be examined. But for our purposes, I'd like to encourage us to consider maybe we need more cow interrupting the Bible school at Alabama Church headlines, as opposed to, well, all of the stories that we've got. Furthermore, by way of segue, perhaps we need to shut out what the world tells us that we are supposed to do and teach our children as we try to raise up godly children. This was a really good article. American Mind, in loco parentis gone loco, is the headline. Sort of Latin, not really. Parents, this Peggy, Peachy, the name of the author is Peachy Keenan. That's funny. I wonder if they have to write with a pseudonym because otherwise (laughs) their family could get terrorized. (laughs) Peachy Keenan writes, parents, I have bad news. You've got competition. Someone posted a job listing, booking, looking for a new authority figure in your house. And they hired everyone who applied. Lots of other adults, most of them unpleasant strangers, who would like to raise your children for you. Or at least get your children to hate you. That's, that's, uh, that's a, that is a real danger, mom and dad. And we need to be able to block that out and say, I'm sorry. You can't do this. Now, every parent is going to make a decision for themselves as to how they go about doing that. Some are going to say it's homeschool for us. Others are going to say, no, I'm going to let my kid do that, but I'm all over it. I am going to make sure that I know everything that is being taught to my child and there's not going to be any shenanigans. How you do it is up to you, but doing it at this point, I think is becoming a parental imperative. American parents have either forgotten their innate God-given authority over their household or surrendered it in the face of relentless pressure over many years from the outside. And Hillary Clinton kicked it off. Do you remember the outrage of some pundits? It doesn't take a village. It takes parents. And it takes the rest of the family to be involved. And church family can have an influence. And if school is going to play a role, it is going to support what the parents want their children to learn. Bang, bang, bang. Parents, stupid, dumb dads. 
moms who really just don't know how to raise their children and let them be what they really want to be on the inside. A half century of unchecked influence by feminists and far left, far left progressives have chipped away at the role of parents in their children's lives. What is left is a barren wasteland, a valley of shadows, where mothers and fathers have been reduced to nothing more than oldest dependents in the house. It's true. That's what the world wants, isn't it? We have to reject that. Can't let that in. That, that, that needs to be filtered. This article, peachy. You can tell when you're about to be trampled by elephants. It's trickier when the trampling is invisible and being committed by a young teacher with peace stickers on Zer's car. I'll grant that having pronouns in your bio is not quite the same red flag as cruising a playground in a car with no door handles on the inside. But it's still a red flag that parents need to be aware of. That is true, isn't it? They have a common goal. They want to dilute your authority and increase theirs. Now, I, I, I would love to see a champion too. Somebody who is able to lead what I think is still a pretty conservative nation on the majority side. We could use somebody to articulate the cause and to bring everybody together to say, yeah, this is, no, we don't want teachers that take over the role of parenting and inform their kids that they don't have to inform us if they feel like their gender is not what they think it used to be. We need to, we need to take control of that. Can't wait. Individual parents are, if you're one of those parents, or better yet, well, maybe you're already a parent, but you're married or you're not getting married because you think, oh, marriage, and then you have kids and this culture and society. Don't be scared. It just means that you're going to have to be in the game more than we ever have had to. Because we used to have teachers that were mostly in alignment with what parents wanted. Now they're at odds, and so too is our government. They want to forbid you to, to do what is what you think is right for your child and maybe not have them go to sex toy day in kindergarten. Got to be in the game. Don't be afraid to have kids. Just know that you're going to have to be in there. This is, this is from Peachy. Allow me to remind you gently, sarcasm alert, irony alert. It's your job to steer the ship, avoid icebergs, prevent scurvy, and slay, stave off mutinies. Parenting isn't a game, no do-over. You're the strands between your small charges and the roiling storms ahead and the band of purple-haired non-binary pirates that's about to storm the deck. <laughs> what was, oh, wait a, oh, Jimmy, we've got that here. That if your teacher were straight. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, you've got that already. Yes. Okay, so imagine that the, the public school teacher was actually straight. <laughs> Sorry, I can't contain myself. Today was the last day of school and I teach fourth grade. And I have like the most amazing students yeah. and Kiddos. I've been keeping a secret from them all year long. Sorry, these are tears of joy, tears of joy. So I finally came out to my students. I was like, class, I have something really personal that I need to tell you. And I think it's really important for me to share this with you. 
I just want you guys to know that Miss Fontania, your teacher that you've had all year, I want you guys to know that I'm straight. No! And they were so accepting of my straightness. I showed them pictures of my husband and I was like, yeah, that's my husband, guys. That's my husband. And I also said, if you guys ever want to talk to me about what it's like to be straight, like, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And I had so many kids tell me they were straight too. Oh, the tears of joy. Stay in the game, mom and dad. Don't sit on the sidelines and don't stop having kids if you want them. Just be in the game. This is Wretched Radio. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, affordable, biblical, health sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. You know, what used to be a movie is now our sad reality. We're living in a world that's gone absolutely bonkers. So much so that six mads just aren't enough to describe it. Social media may be bombarding us left and right. Our Christian worldview may be under assault. But we have the dynamic duo of Todd Friel and Dr. Nathan Buznitz. And they're coming to the rescue with Wretched Worldview 2. Tackling 22 of those pesky, thorny, contemporary issues through a biblical lens, helping us to defend the biblical view on things like sexuality and gender, critical race theory, modesty and apparel, persecution, secular entertainment, environmentalism, 22 issues to be exact. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to wretched.org, grab your copy of Wretched Worldview 2. And hey, while you're there, snag that study guide too, because it's the perfect companion for navigating this mad, 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 mad world with wisdom and grace. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Club's ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Attributes of God. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 tells us that God is jealous. 
Jealousy is an intense desire to protect one's own glory, honor, and name. Since God is perfect, it is only right for Him to protect His own glory. Take comfort knowing that God will receive glory, and His glory is good for you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. Hopefully you and I are not contributing to a new poll that indicates... A lot of pastors aren't happy. In fact, they're downright bummed out. In fact, their physical health is suffering because of all of the pressure that they are under. This ought not to be. What is the solution for a burned out pastor? What is the anecdote for pastors who feel like they want to give up? Well, I think that there are a couple, starting with Let's not be the ones who contribute to their burnout. We can't be the ones who are a pain in the neck, a thorn in the side, constantly nattering, causing trouble, critiquing everything. Or if you're responsible for, for instance, the compensation of the pastor, is he going home to be received by a wife who is panicking about being able to pay the bills? by children who resent the church because they don't pay daddy enough for them to be able to participate in volleyball? Let's not be the ones who contribute to that. But I think that there's another, perhaps, more personal thing that the pastor can do. It's it's our job to not contribute to the pastor's heaviness, But I would also suggest that it is up to the pastor to organize his role, his function, his duties, and his presence in a way that I think is potentially, potentially more biblical, more helpful, with a more long-term positive impact, and that is to spread the load, to be the one who equips people to do the work of ministry and not to be the workhorse who does everything and it's assumed you're supposed to do everything. Now, to be clear, a pastor has the opportunity to do more things. I mean, that's that's in part why people call a pastor. They're at work. Who's going to go to the hospital? Well, the pastor, because that's, a, that's in his purview, doing hospital visits most certainly is, but he he doesn't have to be the only one. There could be others that go into it. I know, I understand. And by the way, how many times, maybe you've heard this in the course of the years of being in the church, that people were downright upset that the pastor didn't visit them or visit them as often as they perceived the pastor should. I've heard this b- before from people. Look, there there can be others who do it. The pastor does have a lot of responsibilities already. What I'm encouraging is not that he jettisons everything and just goes, forget, I'm not doing nothing here. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that the job description of the pastor isn't to do everything. It's to equip the body to do everything. And I wonder, I just wonder how much time is spent in a seminary helping a pastor implement that probably have heard it it's for me it's sort of it's sort of like i remember learning law before gospel 
that you got to preach a lot of law, then you'll need to preach a little gospel because it'll be good news indeed if people feel the weight, the burden, and the consequence of their sin. Amen. And I could write that down on a test. What does that look like? I don't know. Until I met Ray Comfort, he helped with that a lot. Uh, I wonder if we are taking the time to teach the pastor how to uh, distribute responsibilities and to let people do their thing. There are a lot of talented people in the church that can do a lot of things. And again, please note, I'm not saying this means the pastor does nothing. The pastor's heart should be, absolutely, I'll pick up the ball. That got dropped. I'm on it. I'll pick it up, and away we go, because I love my sheep. Having said that, maybe the solution for these pastors whose well-being is suffering is to learn how to find men and women who can do stuff, empower them, equip them, and then allow them to do that. Here are the statistics. This is from data collected for the Resilient Pastor Research Survey done from 2015 to 2022. You should know this might be your pastor being described. When it comes to having true friends, the data shows 20% of pastors today rank themselves as below average in that that category compared to 10% in 2015. So more pastors are feeling like, I got a friend whose shoulder I can cry on or at least unbear my burdens. Because a lot of pastors would say, I'm not going to do that to my wife. I think that's pretty wise. You could, But you could use somebody to hear it out, just listen to it, and maybe offer some godly wisdom. And increasingly, pastors don't have that. While 34% of pastors rank themselves as excellent when it comes to having true friends in 2015, That dropped down to half, 17% in 2022. Hold on. Let's talk about the physical well-being. 2015, only 7% of pastors said their physical well-being was below average or poor. Seven years later, that number has tripled, 22%. Whoa, what's going on? Why is this happening? We should be asking. You want your church to be healthy? You want your pastor healthy. Only 9% of pastors reported their physical health as excellent in 2022 compared to 24% in 2015. Hold on. There's more. More than half of pastors, 56% who considered quitting, it was the immense stress of the job. Now, what is the recommendation from this article in the Christian Post? Sabbatical. That's the article. That's that's the solution. We've got to start giving our pastors weeks, months off to recharge their batteries. Jimmy, why are you shaking your head in there? I, I okay, I don't totally disagree with that sentiment, but that also does not fix the issues that's that are right. going on. Yeah, yeah. It does. Look, if if the if the pastor is distributing the load, and and the elders that are godly say, you know what, it's it it would this would be a good thing, and here's why. And this is what it's going to accomplish. Cool. But when a sabbatical becomes a stopgap for a church that is overburdening the pastor with expectations and workload, uh, you're just not going to fix the problem. You're just delaying the inevitable. Oh, oh, I can't wait to get to my sabbatical. I hate this place. These people are driving me nuts. Oh, I get a month off. I'm done with these people. By the way, what does that communicate? now? Like Jimmy said, 
Wow, that was a hard sentence to utter. Like Jimmy said, uh, it, it, there can be a time and a place for that. There really can. Sometimes, sometimes I think about the Apostle Paul wintering. Was it in Malta that he was I'm wintering there where it's a little warmer? Was he doing ministry? Most likely evangelizing, preaching, if I had to guess. If there, if there had been a synagogue, probably went to it. But taking time off vacation, I get it. I was thinking about the Jewish people in the Old Testament and their workload. The implication, I think I was reading this in a psalm, basically you work from sunup to sundown. So let's just say 12 hours a day, you work six days a week, 72-hour work week. Now, please keep in mind that work would usually, no, that work would definitely include household work because how you made a living in your home were kind of one in the same, very agrarian, the family business. So you probably in that in that sun up to sundown, if it was cleaning the house, repairing the broken whatever, well, that was included in fairness, because don't forget for a lot of people that work 40 hours a week, we go, well, that's not 72. A lot of times Saturday is loaded with nothing but chores and work around the house and cleaning and fixing. Nevertheless, they worked very hard, very long hours, but there were festivals when God commanded them, you need to go to Jerusalem. Now, for some, that would make it easy, and they would spend a week doing religious activities and resting. So I don't think that God is opposed to it an extended rest time, but I don't think that that should be what we lean on to make sure that our pastor is staying healthy. We need to, and it might it might very well, Pastor. If if you're in these statistics, could you identify somebody in your church who's good at at this, at seeing kind of the big picture and going, mm, Pastor, why don't you assign this to that person? Why don't you give this here? This will take it over. You know what? I'll make sure that this gets done over here. The elders are going to be doing like this, and lean on somebody who can because you shouldn't be getting fried. I know. I know it's a burdensome job. It is automatically burdensome. I I wish everybody could hear just one anecdote of what they hear sometimes in counseling, just one time, and go, wait, what? Huh? Okay. Now, this isn't even like a sinful. I just received an email. Here's one for you. Um, My dad was horrible, and I harbored bitterness. And I want to forgive him, but he died. And now I've like tried to, but I can't. Okay, you fix that. You help that. That's what your pastor gets. The role is burdensome enough. What might you do to unburden and help your beloved pastor? And pastor, what might you do to avoid burnout? And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>